0: This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the announcement of Overwatch 2, we're doing a deep dive on the lore and story behind the game to get you all caught up as we look towards this new sequel. So join us as we Geek Explain Overwatch, the story so far. Welcome back to Geek the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more—you name it, we explain it. I'm your host Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about Overwatch. This is the uh, team battle game that's uh, online and has been a uh, eater of my productivity and time for a a good few years now. I've been a big fan of Overwatch, been playing it for a while, and uh, across two consoles, in fact. And uh, we now know that, as of this past week, Overwatch 2 is on its way from Blizzard. It was unveiled at BlizzCon, and uh, we're going to talk about it. So to gear up and get you all ready for the release of that game, we don't have a release date yet, but I figured with the Overwatch hype at an all-time high right now, let's talk about the history and the events Uh, leading into overwatch because if you have never played the game before there isn't really like a story mode so um i figured this would be a good time and a good place to kind of compile all the events the timeline if you will of overwatch and we're going to be talking about that today but not just that we also have this week's weekly review on the latest episode of season eight of arrow the final season as well as of course this week's Comics Countdown. But first, before we get into all of that, let's talk about this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, we got some news for you here. Not a lot of news, but some uh, some big news, I think. We're going to start off with Comics news, because who doesn't like comics news? Uh, We have, of course, our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. There's no TV news this week, so a little sad on the TV front, but the news from the other three categories, I think, is definitely worth talking about. So starting off with comic news, uh, just one piece of news today, and that is that we have a little bit more information about uh, DC Comics' upcoming 5G, and it's not... It's not great. It's not great. Um, So there is a, uh, for those of you who don't know, who haven't uh, heard us cover 5G before, uh, 5G is this supposed drive, this supposed, um, I guess, company-wide thing across DC Comics that is going to see the current generation, and I'm using air quotes for podcast listeners Uh, to kind of end, to kind of move on uh, so far with this DC official timeline that they're currently working on over there. Uh, There have been four generations of heroes. The first generation starting off with Wonder Woman, second generation starting off with Superman, and so on. And currently we are in the fourth generation. This idea of the next generation, 5G for short, um, is that a lot of our heroes are going to be replaced by uh, younger and newer characters. Now that doesn't sound like a bad idea until you start to go into the characters that they are looking to replace our current heroes with. Uh, Right now the rumor is that Luke Fox, the son of Lucius Fox and current Batwing will be taking over the Batman role um, when there's a perfectly good Tim Drake, a perfectly good Damian Wayne there. Um, the son of Captain Boomerang is potentially going to be taking the place of the Flash, which Impulse is right there. Wally West is right there. Um, Cassie Sandsmark is going to be taking over the role of Wonder Woman, which totally cool with. Love Cassie. She's a big fan of hers. Um, and then Superman is going to be replaced by John Kent. So not only... Has John Ken already been aged up to be a teenager to join the Legion of Superheroes, but he is going to be aged up again to be Superman. Not excited about this. Not happy about this at all. Um, there's also rumor that either Team Lantern or the new, uh, lead of the DC Far Sector book is going to be taking on the role of Green Lantern, um... I'm fine with either of those. Uh, far Sector does come out next week. So I'm, I've am i been really anticipating it. So definitely look for that in next week's Comics Countdown. Um, but I just, I can't, I don't know how I feel about this. And now with the new information that we've uh, been given so far this week, I'm now even less um, confident in it just as a, uh, just, kind of as an event, and that is that DC is essentially trying to have its cake and eat it too uh, by, even though 5G is going to happen in the mainline series books, all of your favorite versions, and I use your favorite in a general sense, of course, um, of these characters, so Bruce Wayne as Batman, Clark Kent as Superman, Diana Prince as Wonder Woman, etc., are going to live on in prestige books. As part of Black Label. I just... I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Um, I don't know what their plan is with this. It doesn't sound like they even have a plan. Or they know what's going on here. So, I'm worried. I'm really worried. Because DC has been putting out some really strong stuff recently. And some of the books that are yet to come out. Including Far Sector. I'm really excited about. But... I just, we need more clarification on this. We need more clarification on what's going on as a whole with the company and with the direction of their uh, comics. But anyway, uh, stay tuned. I'm going to keep giving you guys information as I get it. Uh, Going on to film news. We have two big things of film news. First off, I think the big news is that uh, we have a sequel announced to probably one of the greatest superhero films of all time that being spider-man into the spider-verse into the spider-verse officially got a sequel date and an announcement from uh, lord and miller the directors behind the original film and that it is due to come out on april 8th 2022 so it's going to be a little um a little ways off um, they also are changing up the director. Uh, Joaquin Dos Santos is going to be directing with uh, David Callahan tacking, tackling the script. I'm not sure how I feel about that since Lord and Miller were so integral to that first film being as good as it was. But I can only assume that they're focusing on the wider um, brand of Spider-Verse now. Since you know we've already been told that there's going to be all manner of spinoffs when it comes to film, TV, whatever. Uh, but I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Really good stuff. They also, uh, I want to say it was Phil Lord, also let slip that uh, Japanese Spider-Man is going to be showing up, and he's going to be one of the first uh, new spider man in the film, and of course that is Takuya Yamashiro, and he was the main character of the 70s live-action Spider-Man TV show in Japan, and if you haven't watched it, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite versions of Spider-Man. He has a giant robot. Just watch it. Just watch it. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. Should be good. Uh, the other film news right now that we have is over on the DC side, and it is potential potential rumors for casting. So right now, uh, we're pretty much in full swing for casting announcements for The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves and starring Robert Pattinson as Batman. So far officially casted, we have Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon. We have Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman and Paul Dano as The Riddler. Two more names are being floated around right now. First off... Uh, Andy Serkis, who has worked with Matt Reeves in the past for the Planet of the Apes films, is rumored to be playing Alfred, which I think is an interesting uh, role for him. This is kind of off the heels of a lot of people thinking that he would make a good Penguin, and he absolutely would, but I would be interested to see what kind of different uh, spin they would give him if he ended up playing Alfred. Now, talking about the Penguin, we also have rumor that Colin... Farrell is going to be playing the penguin. Now that's interesting. I find that really interesting, especially when you look at uh, Colin Farrell's overall—not just his look, but also his pedigree, his career. Um, he has it in him as an actor to play that character, but he is just so far away from what a lot of people expect when you think about the penguin that I am really interested in seeing what take they do with him we've seen different takes on the penguin in recent years both in the batman telltale game one of my favorite iterations of the character as well as gotham also another fan favorite iteration of the character as well so i'm interested and if these rumors actually end up To be true, I'm really excited about all these casting choices that they're making. So I'm looking forward to it. Looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, we're just going to have to stay tuned and see what else happens. Uh, And then finally, jumping into miscellaneous news, a big thing that happened this past week was BlizzCon. Uh, That is the convention every single year that Blizzard puts on to essentially just announce games, show off games, and let gamers know what they're working on. And this year they had a big announcement. Two big games that people have been kind of uh, looking for for a little while now. And that is Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2. Now Diablo 4, people have been waiting on it for a long time. I've never been a big Diablo guy. But I'm sure people who have played Diablo before are very excited about this. But um, I'm focused on Overwatch 2. Overwatch 2 is uh, just... It looks fantastic. They announced it with a big cinematic trailer called Zero Hour. If you haven't seen it yet, check it out on YouTube. It basically details uh, the reunion, the first reunion of Overwatch after Winston sends out the recall. So I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a good time. Um, A a lot of the stuff that they have... uh, geared up for and the stuff that they've talked about is really exciting to me as a fan of overwatch and as a uh consistent player on that game i probably played at least you know once a day <laughs> it's a game that does a lot to eat up my time and uh i'm not sorry about it so uh really looking forward to and i'm going to talk a little bit more about what we can expect from the series Uh, And from the sequel in our main course. So let's move right on over to that. Our main course, our entree if you will. Which is a full on recap of the lore and story of Overwatch. Are you with me? So. Overwatch. Overwatch. Now, Overwatch takes place in a future not too far off from us. Uh, Certain developers have said that it takes place roughly about 30 years from present day. So we're looking at, for us here in 2019, as of this recording, uh, we're looking at right around uh, 2049. So around there, though, the game itself was uh, released, I think, in 2014, 2015, so right around like 2045 to 2049 is where we're looking at it. So 30 years from now, uh, we're looking at the golden age of technology. Technological advancement has swept the world. We're talking hard light advancements. We're talking about flying cars. We're talking about all kinds of advancements when it comes to technology and your day-to-day life. But none more so than the advent of advanced robotics and artificial intelligence. And of course, when I say that, I'm talking about a brand new invention, Omnics. So Omnics are built through... Um, a combination of man-made labor as well as the construction of factories called omniums. And these giant factories pop out all different kinds of omnics that are used for both uh, domestic life as well as for uh, more military-grade, shall we say, applications. So classic uh, iRobot Uh, setting where robots are starting to become an everyday part of life and omnics even more so omnics having artificial intelligence means that they have a sense of purpose a sense of belonging a sense of self and so we see that omnics are not just used as uh, servants to their human creators but also live amongst them in their own uh, sanctuaries and their own communities Unfortunately, Omnics and the Omniums that uh, create them are owned by a company called Omnica. The Omnica Corporation is the one kind of behind the creation of Omnics and the building of these Omniums. And Omnics becomes such a uh, big part of everyday life that these Omniums need to be built just at a rapid pace, and Omnica basically says, "Hey, big you know cities of the world. We're talking New York. We're talking London. We're talking all over the world. Uh, China as well, Korea, all those places that have you know a dense population. Uh, you want more Omnics? Let's build our Omniums there." So you see the construction of Omniums in many different large um, uh, cities that hold a lot of people so big big places and unfortunately once all of these omniums are constructed they've started pumping out not just regular omnics but also the beginnings of the bastion line as well as a line of or 14 line of uh, security robots some stuff happens Namely, uh, Omnica Corporation is investigated for fraud, among other shady corporate dealings. Um, a lot of Omnics malfunction. There are multiple instances of malfunction when it comes to Omnics. And so production slumps for Omnica. They, they either start to do some unsavory business practices or have been doing them the entire time. Uh, they are... Under investigation and swiftly shut down and all Omniums are decommissioned. So Omnica's out of the way, they are shut down, the Omniums are shut down, and the Omnics who are already built and have shown no sign of malfunction are just kind of left to be like, there's only a certain number of us left. So as time starts to go on, um, we cut to right around... uh, ...over 30 years ago as of present day. So present day we're talking the opening of Overwatch. So 30 years prior to the opening of Overwatch... um, ...the Omniums start reactivating. We have no idea why. We have no idea what started this. But the Omniums start reactivating themselves... ...and start commencing mass production... ...of Bastion, Siege, Automatons, other uh, war machines all different kinds of offensive and um, destructive omnics to wage war. You know, these these omnic assaults start to spread to other cities, but they start in Russia. Uh, they, for some reason, the omnium in Russia is the first one that suddenly, you know, lights up and starts mass-producing these offensive omnics. And soon that spreads to other places, London, Paris, Australia. All of these other omniums just start popping up and reactivating and mass producing these war machines and the very first shot of the oncoming battle is fired in russia Uh, the omnium there constructs its own army and it commences a large-scale assault on russia and this begins what is henceforth known as the first omnic crisis so during this, the Omnic Crisis takes pretty much everybody by surprise. No one is ready for this. These Omnics were thought to have been... Or these Omniums, pardon me, have were thought to have been shut down. They weren't expecting this. And everyone is pretty much caught unaware. And so millions of people are killed during these assaults. And these are large. They're widespread. They're happening all over the world. Um, the United Nations is unable to get a solution together so other countries of the world start to implement their own uh responses uh in russia the very first place that was attacked uh volskaya industries which is this big uh tech conglomerate there and robotics company uh, the develop the i'm going to try and say this correctly and this is going to come out really bad this via this Vyatagor, nailed it (laughs) a line of manned assault robots so these are basically giant mechs Uh, Volskaya Industries makes these giant mechs to fight off these uh, Omnics while in the U.S. we do what we always do in times of crisis and begin the super soldier program uh, also known here in this universe as the soldier enhancement program now this program is essentially Captain America. We all know this. We all know the Super Soldier program. That's what they do here. But it's during this uh, this enactment of the Soldier Enhancement program that two characters, two young men, two candidates, are brought in to this program. One from Indiana and one from Los Angeles. That being Jack Morrison and Gabriel Reyes. These two characters, you're going to want to You're going to want to put them on the board, because they're going to be important. Uh, Meanwhile, in Germany, they implement the Crusader program. And I'm really excited about this. The Crusaders are, like, some of my favorites. So basically what happens in Germany is they construct the Crusader program, which are these mechanized assault uh, suits that the members of the Crusaders who are modern-day knights, essentially, use to battle Omnics. These suits, while they have different designs on them, pretty much all have a basic um, move set with them. They're able to uh, use a fire charge, which they're all equipped with these giant-ass hammers that they can throw fire blasts with. Uh, they've got what... Are equated to like jet engines on the back of their armor to charge them forward, uh, and they have these large shields, these large hard light shields that they can pop off at any given time. Now, these three uh, nations try, with limited success, to use their unique programs to battle the Omnic Crisis, but unfortunately, all international attempts to take on the Omnic Assault, fail. Uh, they're not enough. What they have is good, and what they have are the beginnings of something that can be utilized to defend against the Omnics, but alone, none of them are strong enough to push back this threat. So, the o- the uh, United Nations proposed the formation of the Overwatch Strike Team. So this is going to be a basically an experimental strike force an experimental squad that is going to be comprised of different operatives from different nations who will work together and use their unique strengths to combat the omnic forces now different uh nations all across the world want to be part of this but the initial strike force composes of six uh six spots first off The two uh, lead candidates from the Soldier Enhancement Program, Gabriel Reyes and Jack Morrison, are recruited. Third, we have Anna Amari, who is an Egyptian sniper and one of the most badass characters in the entire lore of Overwatch. Number four, we have uh, Torbjorn Lindholm. I had to think of his name for a second. He is from Sweden, and he is just the best mechanic and um, armorer that they could ask for. He makes all their stuff, he brings it all together um, and he is just invaluable to that team. Fifth, we have a man named Liao. We know nothing about Liao. Liao is a mystery to everyone. Um, the game has been you know, out for five years at this point. Uh, we still know nothing about Liao other than that he was in the initial Overwatch strike team. And then the sixth, member is chosen from the crusaders and that is of course baldrick von adler the leader of the crusaders who has been fighting on the front lines since the beginning of the omnic crisis unfortunately after all the invitations are sent out the call has been made um baldrick is taken away momentarily from being able to fulfill his uh role as part of overwatch By the siege of Eichenwald. Uh, He and multiple other crusaders, as well as the German armies, are pinned down there because the village and the castle that looms over the village of Eichenwald are being uh, besieged by Omnix, multiple bastion units, much larger giant units that we don't have names for yet, etc., etc. And during the during the siege, Baldric is critically injured. And he is, he knows he's about to go, he knows he is uh, dying, and he's not going to be able to fulfill his role, not just as part of the Crusaders, but as part of the brand spanking new uh, experimental version of Overwatch. And so before he dies, before he makes his last stand in the throne room of Eichenwald, he hands off the medal that signifies your uh, acceptance into Overwatch to his young protégé Reinhardt. Reinhardt Wilhelm is his um his younger partner who is very um very brash very prideful and all about honor and glory and the two of them uh share a really sad goodbye uh before reinhardt escapes and is able to get the rest of the german forces out safely while Baldric makes a last stand within the throne room of the castle overlooking eichenwald and is unfortunately killed so we have our initial lineup overwatch is formed with uh, morrison reyes amari Um, Liao, or the frick Liao is, Torbjorn, and Reinhardt. Now, these six individuals are recruited into Overwatch because of their specific um, tactics, their specific characteristics that allow them to work not just individually, but as part of a team. Uh, And with this team all assembled, they start to really get some great... Uh, victories some key victories against the omnics across the world now this is mostly due to the de facto leadership of gabriel reyes who takes command very easily he is a military veteran and everyone just kind of looks to him to as the leader the strike commander of this initial overwatch force um it's never really stated, as far as my research goes, that he was officially named, but everyone just kind of looked at him and they're like, yeah, this is the guy. This is our leader. So the war goes on. Uh, the crisis has been uh, said to go from either five to ten years, which is a sizable gap. But um, some people say it's five. Other developers have said it's ten um, so it's kind of unclear, but it's anywhere from five to ten years as this first Omnic Crisis, where Overwatch is basically going to war, and they are fighting battle after battle, repelling forces all over the world, and they finally are able to get into the Omnic Command somehow, and the greater constro- control structure, uh, kind of powering all of the Omniums and the Omnics, and they're able to destroy this Command Center Rendering the other forces of Omnic's all around the world inert and defeating the Omnic's once and for all, the Omnic Crisis is officially over. So, following this, following the defeat of the Omnic's and the Omnic Crisis closing, um, the United Nations and the greatest the greater world doesn't really know what to do with Overwatch anymore. Uh, they were constructed as part of as part of wartime. Um, So they don't really know exactly what they want to do with them. They don't know if they should continue the organization, and if they do continue the organization, what does that organization do? What does it represent? So after a lot of soul-searching and some time, um, the United Nations dubs Overwatch a peacetime organization, and they make that transition to a peacetime organization, helping out... uh, The United Nations around the world with different conflicts and different issues uh, following this official announcement, whether it's because they want to change the perception of Overwatch from a strike force to a peacekeeping organization, or whether there were other more personal um, factors involved, Jack Morrison is named by the United Nations as the strike commander of Overwatch over... Gabriel Reyes. And unfortunately, this passing over of the uh, strike commander role from Reyes to Morrison creates a rift between the two of them, uh, which is going to have some pretty long-reaching implications. However, Gabriel Reyes isn't just left out in the lurch because he is Uh, named as commander of the newly formed black watch now what is black watch i hear you asking thank you for asking that's going to transition really well into our next point in the timeline black watch is essentially what overwatch was during the war where that black watch is mostly focused on uh espionage on battles and making sure that all of the um Strike Force and Black Ops missions that Overwatch used to be in charge of are still being completed. So Blackwatch is essentially their... their special ops strike force that they send out when they can't use the public face of Overwatch to complete certain tasks. Just fixing my mic here for a second. Okay. Um, And because of Gabriel's military background, his ruthless nature, and the fact that he is more than willing to commit off-the-books acts, um, he is a perfect fit for this. So he is part of this black ops... Uh, squad essentially splitting the organization of Overwatch into two halves. This is going to be important later, so remember this. Uh, meanwhile, the, uh, the public face of Overwatch starts to bring in uh, other members. So we get the introduction of Medical Officer Ziegler. So, Medical Officer Ziegler, who is later known as Mercy, uh, is brought in to be to basically head up the medical branch of Overwatch. Now, this is also for uh, reasons that Overwatch never had a <laughs> medical branch. Uh, it can be assumed, maybe, that Liao was that medical branch. We don't know, because we don't know anything about Liao. But um, it's pretty popular. It's pretty popular. Uh, this is... Also, right around the time that uh, a, an incident during a mission in Istanbul... Uh, goes horribly wrong, where Anna, Reinhardt, and Torbjorn are pinned down during a firefight. Uh, Reinhardt is critically injured, and so is Torbjorn. Torbjorn more so because he loses an eye and an arm. Uh, Reinhardt stays by his bedside during this entire ordeal, during his recovery, and so (laughs) this is where uh, they become closer as friends, but also Torbjorn promises during this recovery to let Reinhardt name his newborn daughter if he will just leave him alone I love this I love this relationship between Reinhardt and uh, Torbjorn that Torbjorn is like the older guy and Reinhardt just wants to be his best friend Um, and of course that newborn baby is Brigitte or Brigitte uh, who is born and later on um, Reinhardt becomes her godfather as well so This kicks off the golden age of Overwatch. So this is as bright as it can be. It's the age of heroes dubbed by some. And the uh, children born during this era are known as the Overwatch generation as well. Um, While Overwatch has never been brighter, while the uh, public image of Overwatch has never been shinier, Blackwatch is another story. So during this time, Blackwatch is committing some pretty bad stuff. So some bad stuff is going on uh, during this time where uh, they are making some big moves against uh, underworld organizations as well as making sure that some threats that Overwatch in its uh, more public form couldn't... Uh, be seen facing black watch has to take care of Uh, this includes the rise of uh, the criminal element around the world now with the world not as united following the omnic crisis uh, some organizations popped up including a pretty well-known gang in the south called the deadlock gang it's your classic southern uh, outlaw gang headed up by Ash and Jesse McCree. During a particular uh, raid that they're performing, the Deadlock gang comes into contact with Blackwatch, and they are pretty quickly defeated because Blackwatch is... Of course, a paramilitary group and the Deadlock Gang are a bunch of just regular outlaws. Uh, During this, one of the leaders of the Deadlock Gang, Jesse McCree, is captured by Blackwatch and given an ultimatum. You can either go to prison or you can join Blackwatch and put your skills to use for the greater good. Not wanting to go to prison, Jesse McCree accepts. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, On the Horizon Lunar Colony, Uh, many different uh, scientists are working on experimenting on animals. But I know how bad that sounds, but they are trying to give them a higher form of intelligence, uh, essentially trying to do what uh, Planet of the Apes did. And I think that comparison is apropos because one of the subjects, I believe it's subject 27, uh, is named uh, Winston And he is a young gorilla who is uh, taken in by one of the scientists, also named Winston, which is where Winston gets his name, um, who tries to teach him about the greater world, about uh, trying to shape it into something that it could be. He says, I'm going to butcher this quote, but he says, um, try not to think, look at the world as it is, but try to see it for what it could be. And that quote that directive sticks with winston for a very long time unfortunately uh the scientists don't stick around for nearly as long because many of the other um enhanced gorillas get tired of being experimented on so they lure almost all of the scientists into an airlock uh and jettison them out into space killing them so there's this mass um uh, rebellion at the Lunar Colony by the animals who were experimented on. Uh, Winston not wanting to participate escapes along with Subject 8, also known as Hammond, who is a uh, genetically modified hamster who escapes in a escape pod that later gets launched away from uh, Winston's own escape pod. And he lands in Australia. Now, why is Australia important? Because following the Omnic Crisis... Many of the world, uh, many of the world governments didn't really know what to do with the remaining omnics who either didn't participate in the crisis or were left stranded by the events of the crisis. So many of the governments were able to come to peaceful treaties with the omnic community to allow them to once again live in peace. In Australia there was a different story because Even though the Australian government did reach a uh, peace pact with the Omnics that were there, even giving them the Omnium to live in, another radical group called the Australian Liberation Front was not happy about this. So they concocted a plan which ended up bombing the Omnium, causing the uh, core of the Omnium to explode, uh, killing... Just countless lives and turning the Australian outback into an irradiated wasteland. The survivors of this attack took over the nearby town that uh, was situated within the blast radius of the Omnium and redubbed it Junkertown. This is where we saw the rise of Junkrat and his partner Mako, also known as Roadhog. These two are just the best. They are. Horrible people, they're outlaws and treasure hunters, and all around 'er ne'er-do-wells, I think is a good word for them. Um, And they are notable for finding some kind of secret treasure within the Australian Omnium, which has attracted the uh, attention of a lot of people. A lot of people looking to uh, get rich off of this supposed treasure that Junkrat and uh, Roadhog found. So, during this golden age of Overwatch, we see more people join the ranks. This includes uh, Genji Shimada, part of the Shimada crime family. Now, the Shimada crime family is a your standard Yakuza crime family where the infrastructure of the main family is handled by two sons. We're talking Hanzo and Genji, the two bright stars of the Shimada crime family. Now... Hanzo's the older brother, so he's given most of the responsibility, while Genji wants to turn away from a life of crime. He doesn't like it, he wants to change his ways, and he wants to go off and live his own life. The guiding counsel of the Shimada crime family sees this as a threat to their way of life, sees this as a weakness, and so they task Hanzo with killing his brother. So... During this, um, Hanzo is unfortunately tasked with killing his brother, and according to him, supposedly does. He is not uh, sure exactly what happens to him, but he leaves him to die, and that's pretty much all he knows of him. However, um, this isn't the end for Genji. Genji is found by uh, Lieutenant Ziegler, our medical uh, officer, and brought back to life, somehow. We don't know exactly how, but a lot of it involves cybernetic implants and cybernetic augmentations, turning Genji into a cyborg. He's then recruited into Blackwatch. Also during this time, because of Overwatch's peacekeeping directive, them wanting to focus on helping the world in any way that they can, they set up these uh, facilities called Eco Points, or Echo Points, uh, where they can study the surrounding world they can make observations and they can uh send out overwatch operatives as need be and one of these eco points or echo points is in antarctica where they are studying climate change and all those fancy made-up things that um people tell you aren't real but they are. And one of these programs at Ant- at EcoPoint Antarctica are headed up by May. May is a climatologist, among other things, and she is very dedicated to her work. However, the fact that uh, the EcoPoint is so far away from uh, Overwatch's main base in Switzerland means that Uh, they only get supplies in very um, short and spaced-out intervals. So unfortunately, there is an environmental disaster at EcoPoint Antarctica, and it unfortunately forces the entire facility staff to enter cryostasis. This includes May. So as time goes on, we're going to flash forward a few years to right around 10 years prior to the opening of the game. So during this, uh, Black Watch is starting to gain notoriety around the world. The main squad, which consists of Gabriel Reyes, Jesse McCree, and Genji Shimada, are starting to draw unwanted attention as these secret attacks against terrorist organizations are starting to gain um, media attention. And it's not helped that Black Watch is now opposed by a rising criminal organization known as talon now talon is essentially the anti-overwatch and they are constructed to shape the world through conflict that's their whole mo so during this um talon is regularly in conflict with not just blackwatch but overwatch but because overwatch is a peacekeeping organization they have to leave the uh conflicts and the attacks on Talon to Blackwatch to varying degrees of success. However, this isn't a completely awful time for Overwatch. They are making big strides in their pursuit of bettering the world through uh, technological advancement, including a new Slipstream experimental jet fighter, which is going to use a Chronal Accelerator to allow the plane to phase through, um, through temporal pockets to allow it to essentially go through time to go even faster. Now, this jet plane is highly experimental, and the only pilot qualified is a young girl named Lena Oxton, also known as Tracer. Uh, unfortunately... On a test flight, the very first test flight for the Slipstream Jet Fighter, Lena disappears. There's an error, some kind of uh, mishap happens with the Chronal Accelerator, and Lena goes missing. We don't know exactly what happened, but she appears to Winston, who has been also recruited into Overwatch, months later, and it's shown that she has been displaced in time. So Winston cobbles together a a miniature version of the Chronal Accelerator that was used on the jet to anchor her to our time. And so she is able to uh, basically materialize and rematerialize wherever she wants. However, because of her messy uh, relationship, we'll say, with the time stream, she now can't age and she is unable to really be a jet, a jet plane pilot anymore because of the unstable nature of her molecules. Uh, also during this huge um, uh, recruitment drive, a very uh, experimental, we'll say, uh, scientist named Moira is brought into Blackwatch, Uh, She is known for really dicey human experimentation, which wouldn't look good on a uh, roster list for Overwatch. But for Blackwatch, now they have somebody in the medical field who can not just assist them during field missions, but also maybe enhance some of the people in their specific uh, squad. So during this time... um, Things seem to be going as probably as swimmingly as they can. Uh, Blackwatch is essentially at war with Talon. Overwatch is focused on peacekeeping around the world and making great strides in that uh, area. Unfortunately, uh, the Japanese government finds out about Blackwatch because Blackwatch conducts a mission. During their... Or within their borders. Within the Japanese borders. And um, it's not good. It's not good. Uh, During this time... um, Reyes and Morrison start to clash. They start to have some friction between them. And they are only able to settle their differences... Due to the uh, cooler head of Anna Amari... Kind of keeping check for both of them. Uh, Unfortunately... All of this kind of falls apart, and this really shaky stability that they had gathered up together goes away because of something called the Venice Incident, which took place eight years prior to the events of Overwatch. During this event, this is basically what happens. So there, among the many Overwatch facilities, there's an Overwatch facility in Oslo, Norway. It's attacked by Talon. Um, They have been dealing with Talon for a long time, but this is the very first direct attack on an Overwatch facility that they can't ignore. Uh, Commander Morrison, Strike Commander Morrison, who uh, has been under much public scrutiny because of the events or because of the uh, actions of Blackwatch... um, he basically goes on TV, does a press conference, says that yes, many people were killed, and this is the first time that he drops hints and publicly talks about Talon as an organization. Um, this is also all that Gabriel Reyes needs to file an injunction for them to go head to head against some of the more higher up uh, members of the Talon inner council. So. Commander Reyes and Jesse McCree meet with Overwatch agent Gerard LaCroix. LaCroix? I'm going to say LaCroix. Nailed it. Uh, (laughs) At a uh, Blackwatch facility in Rome to discuss their next move. Now, LaCroix basically tells Reyes and McCree that the man behind the Oslo attack is Antonio Bartolotti. So, Antonio Bartolotti, one of the members of the Inner Circle of Talon, and he is just the worst he's just an awful man uh has a hand in all kinds of different atrocities and while uh Reyes and McCree just want to go full force at him uh LaCroix basically tells them that hey uh Bartolotti is way too well connected and if he is either taken down or taken into custody um, he is—he has so many connections within local governments, local law enforcement, that he would be released right away. So LaCroix has this plan. And the plan is to have Overwatch arrest some of his lieutenants, some of his um, right-hand henchmen, so that it can weaken his hold on the area. Classic Assassin's Creed uh, mission style, where you take out the lieutenants before you go after the commander so this seems to be the plan everyone's agreed on the plan this is what's going to happen however during this mission briefing a uh, cybernetic woman walks into the headquarters that they are at in rome and uh she has a bomb and the bomb goes off destroying much of the facility as well as critically injuring Gerard LaCroix. Gerard LaCroix is a high-ranking member of Overwatch. He is someone who has been instrumental in not just uh, organizing Blackwatch, but also in the greater Overwatch as a whole. And he's someone who Reyes just respects, just really respects. And Reyes, being kind of, we'll say, a dick... Uh, That's not a lot of people that Reyes directly respects. So during a funeral for all of the members of uh, Black Watch who were killed in the bombing, uh, Reyes confronts Morrison, basically tells him, like, we have to go after Bartoloni. Like, if we don't go after him directly and take him off the board, more people are going to die. And that's just the truth of it. And Morrison, whether he is... Uh, wracked by guilt whether he uh, doesn't know what to do he gives reyes clearance um, morrison initially wants to do like an investigation by uh, collaborating with the italian government but reyes wants black watch to essentially go in in the cover of night kidnap bartolodi in an off-the-record operation and uh, take him in for the crime. Uh, At this point, Morrison tries to do both. Once again, he tries to have his cake and eat it too. So he uh, commits to the organization with the Italian government, but also leaves the decision on whether or not to go after Bartolotti to Reyes. Following this, Reyes leaves under the cover of night with McCree, Genji, and Moira to kidnap Bartolotti. So, in Venice, Bartolotti is in this stronghold of an Italian business building. We'll call it a business building because that's just what it was. And uh, this Blackwatch squad is able to infiltrate the building. They're able to take out all the guards that are within that building without setting off any alarms. They're good at their job. They're good at infiltrating. And so they go up, they get into Bartolotti's office, and they confront him. Bartolotti, of course, cops to the uh, Oslo attack as well as the attack in Rome, and he pretty much just tells them, but it's not going to mean anything. I'm too well connected, and the second that you take me in, my contacts will get me out. There is no form of taking me in where I stay in custody. And Reyes... uh, uh, Reyes, unfortunately, tells him, Yep, you know what? You're right. And he shoots and kills Bartoloni, sending him flying out of a window and uh, trips all the alarms, lets uh, Talon know that Blackwatch is there and... This squad has to fight their way out of Venice to escape. And it is all plastered all over the news because of this. Uh, basically, these four, uh, Genji, McCree, Reyes, and Moira, tore up Venice do- overnight trying to escape with these dozens upon dozens of uh, talent operatives just flying in and trying to take them out. Uh, the Blackwatch squad is able to escape. However, Blackwatch is public. Everyone knows about Blackwatch now, not just specific governments. Um, this incident, of course, is this incident. I don't know why that word was so hard for me. This incident is um, followed up and investigated by Morrison, LaCroix, and Captain Amari. Um, because no one, no one gave him clearance to kill him. And uh, McCree, this is really the first time that he, as someone who was directly recruited by Reyes and has been kind of his uh, and has been kind of his mentor, uh, this is the first time that McCree's faith in uh, Reyes is really shaken. Meanwhile, within the Talon inner circle, Bartolotti's power is transferred to two member, two other members of the inner circle, that being the Omnic Maximilian as well as Doomfist. Now, Doomfist is a very cool character. Doomfist is actually the third in a line of Doomfists, uh, all utilizing a cybernetic gauntlet to punch stuff really, really hard. This specific Doomfist is Akande Ogundimu, and he is the third in the line of um, Doomfist, the first being... uh, I think the first was called the Savior, the second was called the Scourge, and then we have this one. So this Doomfist uh, kills a ki- forgive me, Akinjide Adeyemi, who is the Scourge of uh, Numbani, and takes his gauntlet and becomes the new Doomfist. And he, by doing so, takes a seat in the Higher Council of Talon. So Talon is gaining power, at least for the uh, members who are still alive. And it's bad stuff. So bad stuff is happening all around. And uh, this doesn't make it any easier on human-omnic relations. So uh, I think we can all agree that after the Omnic Crisis, human-omnic relations were strained at best. And with the... Uh, revelation that Talon is utilizing Omnics in their legal activities. There's even more strain put on. However, uh, Takarta Mandata, who is basically like um, like Omnic Gandhi, shall we say, uh, stages multiple peaceful protests to let the world know that Omnics are peaceful now that they are not the same Omnics who attack the humans during the Omnic crisis. Um, Unfortunately, during one of his um, stops on his uh, peaceful protest tour in London, the extremist Omnic group Nell Sector kidnaps Mandata, as well as London's mayor Nanda and a hundred other people holding them in a King's Row power plant. This is the first big Omnic event since the Omnic crisis, and no one knows what to do. Uh, Overwatch wants to deploy a team. However, the UK Prime Minister, amongst all of the uh, bad press that Overwatch is getting with the Venice incident, as well as Blackwatch as a whole, denies Overwatch permission to operate within British borders. Um... But this isn't gonna sit well, and with Jesse McCree wanting to get some time away from Blackwatch, he goes undercover to the UK and provides Overwatch with intelligence on uh, Null Sector. He is basically there to uh, get them some info, so that if they do end up getting permission, that they will able or they'll be able to uh, drive back Null Sector and hopefully save the hostages. Um, This information is vital in the uh, not just the um, positioning of Null Sector, but also the location of the kidnapped uh, people. Meanwhile, as they're gearing up for this, trying to figure out what to do, uh, Strike Commander Morrison approves Oxton's uh, request for active duty as an Overwatch field agent because she feels that she can still contribute. And so she retakes up her nickname as her official codename is Tracer and becomes an official cadet on the Overwatch field team. Now, as the tensions start to mount and um, we we start to feel a little bit of the heat, uh, Strike Commander Morrison ignores orders from the UN and disregards the UK Prime Minister's denial of permission and... Dispatches a team into London to take out Null Sector and to rescue the hostages. This team comprises of Mercy, Reinhardt, Torbjorn, and Tracer. And this is Tracer's very first mission with Overwatch. Going into a highly hostile environment, trying to save hostages from an extremist omnic terrorist organization. Fun stuff. Fortunately, the mission is a success. Everyone is rescued and Null Sector is defeated and for the moment, thought completely destroyed. Uh, following this, there is a um, ceremony. While the UN isn't happy about Overwatch's, um, Overwatch's actions within uh, King's Row, they also recognize that uh, they saved a lot of lives. So there is a press event for the International Justice Commission's Global Security Division, where a senior official is able... is. We see this during the Recall uh, cinematic short is shaking hands with Mondada, who credits Overwatch with saving him as well as countless other lives. Uh, all eight Overwatch agents uh, are given golden IJC medals, um but this is the last good thing that happens with Overwatch unfortunately. so during f- shortly after this uh Gerard Lacroix's wife Amelie is kidnapped by Talon uh for an indeterminable amount of time uh she is returned to Overwatch mysteriously uh after some months, and something seems off with her. Uh, Shortly after she is returned to the team, uh, Gerard LaCroix is killed in his sleep. As we come to find out, uh, Amelie was brainwashed into becoming a Talon operative, and Gerard is killed while Amelie disappears. Following this, there is a disturbance in Havana, where uh, Overwatch operatives Sojourn has Tracer, Mercy, Winston, and Genji track down and capture Maximilian, again, one of the higher-ranking members of Talon. Now, under interrogation, Maximilian reveals to Overwatch that Doomfist will be in Singapore in three weeks' time. So, three weeks later, uh, it's Genji, Winston, and Tracer try to capture Doomfist, and this... Does not go well for them. Uh, Genji is defeated. Tracer is almost taken out uh, for good when Doomfist destroys her chronal accelerator, displacing her from time. This causes Winston to go into a primal rage state, and he is able to defeat and capture Doomfist. Uh, Following this, um, because of the events of the uh, Venice Incident... uh, Moira is brought to light as a member of Blackwatch, casting even more shade onto the organization as Moira was essentially cast out by the scientific community for her illegal experimentation. Again, a large blow against Overwatch, even though they are making small victories. And then finally... There is an incident in Cairo where a—it's another hostage incident where uh, Strike Commander Morrison as well as Captain Amari are sent in themselves to rescue these hostages, and it is during this mission when Anna is uh, pinned down by another sniper. And when she goes to view who the sniper is in her scope, she sees that the sniper is none other than Amelie LaCroix, whose skin has been turned blue, and she is now a sniper for the talent organization. And Anna's hesitation in taking out her once friend opens her up, and she is seemingly killed by this new uh, sniper going by the codename Widowmaker. The supposed death of Anna is the last straw between the uneasy uh, relationship between uh, Reyes and Morrison, and it causes, among other uh, variables, Reyes to stage a coup against Morrison, essentially pitting the two branches of Overwatch against each other, Overwatch versus Blackwatch, which results in a large-scale uh short civil war within the headquarters in uh, overwatch's swiss hq causing the entire hq to explode no one knows exactly what happened there but there are several different operatives who got out before then unfortunately reyes and morrison are believed killed and following this with all of the negative press with the dissolution of Blackwatch and the death of the two commanders of the organization, the United Nations passes the Petrus Act. Uh, this acts in in basic terms. Uh, it states that any and all actions taken by former Overwatch agents that correspond with Overwatch's overall mission and specific operational remit are illegal and punishable by prosecution. Basically... They disband Overwatch, and anyone who partakes in Overwatch activities is doing so illegally. Banning Overwatch activity. And um, it's not good. So that happens right around six years prior to the current events of, um, of the Overwatch game. So, as we're looking at it now, Talon growing in power... Overwatch completely disbanded. The founding Trinity of Overwatch, that being Anna, Jack, and Gabriel, are all presumed dead, and um, it's not having a good time. So, around um, a few years later, with the supposed uh, world with with the supposed world peace starting to crack. Uh, tensions between humans and Omnic's in Russia reach a breaking point. Uh, Russia has always been anti-Omnic since the Omnic Crisis, and um, tensions boiled over, and the second Omnic Crisis begins. Now, the initial instigating incident um, is basically the Omnium in Russia, which was believed decommissioned and just completely shut down uh, has restarted and become a base of operations for among other factors, uh, null sector and they make a large scale assault on Russia claiming so far as of this recording over 15,000 lives. So, This is not good. So this is an inciting incident at this time, but later spirals into the second Omnic Crisis that threatens the world. Meanwhile, during the uh, supposed golden age of Overwatch to the age of heroes, um, technological advancements didn't stop. This includes the multiple corporations alongside the shady dealings of... Uh, Talon to rise up and start to make their way into the economies of some of the multiple uh, countries and uh, communities that were not just uh, scarred by the event, but critically um, critically damaged. So this includes two very notable corporations, including uh, Vishkar and Lumerico. Uh, Lumerico makes its base of operations in Mexico. Um, really, kind of moving in because Mexico during the initial Omnic crisis uh, was hit pretty heavily by the Omnic forces. They shut down the entire power grid in the uh, in the country, and so they were forced to go through what they called La Medianoche, which means the midnight and so Lumerico swooped in to give them power once again and took a pretty large, uh, pretty sizable control in the country itself. Uh, This uh, shady organization, which is different from Talon, but still pretty shady as things go, Uh, Lumerico uh, inspired a young girl named Sombra to begin rebelling against the corporate against the corporation, using her hacking skills as part of the uh, Los Muertos gang to basically cause all kinds of mischief. Uh, Sombra, following her dealings with Lumerico, is found and recruited by Talon, and so she is now part of the uh, group there. Following her recruitment, she is sent on a mission with Widowmaker, as well as a fairly, fairly familiar operative known as the reaper to uh volskaya industries where they are tasked with eliminating katya volskaya Uh, sombra is able to get katya alone and reveals that she is not with talon she is using them to further her own goals and that she blackmails katya with the with the knowledge that she is trading uh intel with the omnics which is a big no-no during an omnic crisis Um, basically to get her in her pocket. Following the interaction between the two of them, Katya enlists the services of one Zarya to hunt down Sombra and eliminate her. The other corporation that rises is the Vishkar Organization, which is specializing in hard, light Um, projections and hard light technology Uh, one of the lead scientists there takes the code name Symmetra and becomes one of the leading um, uh, leading authorities when it comes to hard light and she is part of the organization that makes a pretty big foothold in Rio de Janeiro Brazil Uh, Vishkar is kind of a cutthroat organization Uh, which throws a lot of local businesses into disarray. And this causes uh, young DJ Lucio to steal Vishkar technology and begin to rally Rio's people against the corporation. And because of this rebellion, uh, Lucio becomes a celebrity overnight. And so he is now not just a revolutionary leader, he is also now a DJ filling stadiums around the world. So this brings us to present day. So if you're keeping track, now this is present day of Overwatch, which is 60 years ahead of us. So if we're talking about here in 2019, we're looking at 2079. (laughs) So that's a far ways away. Um, if we want to go by release date, uh, 2014, 2015, 2016, so we're looking at right around 2075-ish. So we'll say 2075-ish. So, um, during this, because of the dissolution of Overwatch, talent has been gaining power, and, uh, that leaves Winston at one of the old, uh, eco-points, which is also known as Watchpoint Gibraltar, who has, uh basically kept to himself making little uh, experiments here and there, including a prototype shield generator. Uh, he sees on the television that the death toll of the Second Omnic Crisis has now reached over 50,000. And unfortunately, um, Winston is not safe within, this, uh, within Watchpoint Gibraltar because a talent team led by this operative Reaper... Uh, conducts a raid on Gibraltar. And their goal is to get the full database of former Overwatch operatives for some reason. We don't exactly know why, but uh, we do know that it's bad news. So Winston is able to repel them. And during or following uh, following this incident, Winston is given... I would say a boost. I would say a moral boost to initiate the Overwatch recall. And with this Overwatch recall, we get the the teaser trailer, as many of you have seen. It is also the opening of the game when you boot it up, uh, where Winston lets all the former operatives of Overwatch know that the world needs heroes now more than ever. And he asks a simple question, are you with me? Meanwhile... At Ecopoint Antarctica, May awakens from her 10-year slumber to find that not only are the rest of her team dead because their cryostasis chambers malfunctioned, but also the organization that she was working for is uh, dissolved. It's no longer around. um, And that she is pretty much alone because uh, with the dissolution of Overwatch, they weren't able to go out to pick any members of the uh antarctica team up so may is able to fashion herself a way out and is able to get winston's transmission and goes to join him other members of the uh former overwatch team that get winston's call include tracer as well as genji who has been traveling around the world and returns to his homeland of japan on the anniversary of ...of his supposed death at the hands of his brother Hanzo. Hanzo is shocked by the reappearance of his brother... ...and the two duel battle where Genji is able to defeat him. Genji then tells Hanzo that this life of crime isn't worth it... ...and that there is a a future, he believes, where the two of them can be brothers once again. Meanwhile alongside all of this uh, Omnic crisis in Korea a giant Omnic called the Kishin Omnic attacks Korea like at different intervals I think the um, let me double check here in my notes Uh, basically this giant Omnic goes and attacks Korea every few years I'm gonna vamp as I look over this... Da, 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 da. So, looking at the nose for the Gishin Omnic, um, it's this giant Omnic Colossus that emerged from the East China Sea around 20 years ago. So, right around the end of the first Omnic Crisis. So... Basically, every few years, that giant Omnic shows back up off the East China Sea coast, attacking South Korea and the neighboring countries. And each time that the Omnic is repelled, it learns from these encounters, reconfiguring itself and allowing it to attack with an added boost next time. Um, This forces the Korean government to begin building mecha suits and after a couple of gishin omnic attacks these mecha suits are seen to be cutting edge but the pilots are not able to control them at a pace that they can be useful against the ever uh, reconfiguring colossus omnic so the korean government employs gamers employs Twitch streamers employs all kinds of gamers to pilot these mechas to fight the Omnic forces. This includes one Hana Song, who is a famous um, high-profile gamer who takes on the codename of Diva, and her team is able to repel many different attacks on Korea. Um, meanwhile, alongside all of this craziness going on, the recall goes out to Germany, where back at the village of Eichenwald, the transmission is picked up by one Reinhardt Lindholm. Uh, Reinhardt Reinhard is now an old man. He was he joined the Overwatch team at you know thirty years ago when he was an adult. In his prime, and now he's being given the call to summon now is a much older man and as he kind of thinks this over he's basically told by his squire Brigitta, the daughter of uh Torbjorn who has essentially become his squire and has become the person who fixes up his armor after every battle and she basically tells him like you don't need to do this like they pushed you out and you don't need to go back to them and um this is my favorite of the Overwatch shorts. Uh, of course, I'm biased. Reinhardt's my favorite character. But this short, it's titled Honor and Glory. Check it out. It's the, for my money, it's the best. Um, Reinhardt is kind of consigned to this idea that they put the call out and he has to answer. And so you get this idea that Reinhardt has uh, carried this guilt of taking on not just the role from his leader Baldrick, but also of all the horrible things that happened during his career with Overwatch, uh, and that he has to answer the call, always. Meanwhile, in a forest nearby to Eichenwald, a bastion unit awakens, having been Shut down or shut off or something during the initial first Omni Crisis 30 years ago. Um, this bastion unit befriends a songbird named Ganyamede and is able to fight through its programming to attack Eichenwald and is later found by Torbjorn, who also has answered the call to reconnect with the other members of Overwatch. So the stage is set but not just for Overwatch. Um, during all of the... Uh, qu- I, would, I guess you could call it the quiet time between the dissolution of Overwatch and now, um, there's been some reports in uh, Mexico specifically that a vigilante has been attacking different gangs, including the Los Muertos gang, in places like Dorado. And this vigilante... Is Soldier 76. Now, this man, who strikes a blinding resemblance to Strike Commander Morrison, except way older, um, is taking it upon himself to basically distribute vigilante justice and ignores any kind of call for Overwatch to return. Say, Basically, saying that his mission to take out the criminal element is more important. Uh, Meanwhile, the daughter of Anna Amari, named Farah, is now part of a Helix security team and utilizes a jetpack as well as a uh, specially designed armor to fight from the skies. So, all of this is going on, multiple attacks all around the world um talon is growing in power but they're also being assaulted by a sniper known as the shrike so talon is now having to deal with not just the shrike not just uh this idea that overwatch might come back but also with soldier 76 and during an attack in egypt uh by soldier 76 on a talon compound the reaper arrives The Reaper and Soldier 76 do battle, and they reveal to each other that Soldier 76 is, in fact, Jack Morrison, and the Reaper is Gabriel Reyes. Both men survived, as loose a term as you can put on that, the uh, final battle at the Swiss HQ, and they are on opposing sides. Go figure. Uh, So they do battle. Uh, Reaper's able to gain the upper hand, but Soldier is saved by Shrike who reveals herself to be Anna Amari. So our original Trinity is alive and old, but still kicking. And Anna and Jack reunite and decide that they're going to join forces to take down uh, Talon. So all of this stuff is starting to ramp up as we're getting closer and closer to the opening events of the game. Uh, Near the opening... Uh, the There is a museum opening. There is a new... Uh, I guess, what do you want to call it? Um, exhibit being opened up in the museum dedicated to Overwatch. And as part of this museum exhibit, they have the Gauntlet of Doomfist. So, of course, because Doomfist, Doomfist Gauntlet is property of Thailand... Uh, they send in their operatives, Reaper and Widowmaker, to... Retrieve said gauntlet. Uh, they are, they break into the museum. There are casualties, of course, because they are bloodthirsty and um, willing to do whatever they want. But they are thwarted from getting Doomfist Gauntlet by Winston and Tracer. They're able to repel Tracer, or they're able to repel Reaper and Widowmaker, and this is the first time that Tracer and Widowmaker uh, make each other's acquaintance. It would not be the last time that they see each other, however, because shortly after this, uh, Widowmaker makes an assassination te- attempt on Mandata that Tracer tries to stop. But unfortunately, she is unable to and Mandata is killed by uh, by Widowmaker, furthering human and omnic strife and tension. Uh, After this, Doomfist breaks out of his uh, prison and makes his way to Numbani, where the gauntlet has now been moved to a museum there as part of their Unity Day celebrations. Doomfist retrieves his gauntlet, killing several people, and destroys many different OR-15 units, which were created after the Omnic Crisis, uh, in his escape. A young girl... Named Effie, takes one of the uh, damaged OR 15 uh, androids and fashions it back up together into a new robot called Orisa, who she helps to utilize, or she hopes to utilize in the oncoming Omnic Crisis as well as the war against Talon. So as we roll into the uh, present day, McCree. We find our old friend McCree, who is at uh, Route 66 and thwarts a uh, train heist by his old deadlock gang because they have a very special cargo that is going to be uh, that is going to be taken by them probably and sold to the highest bidder. Uh, McCree thwarts this raid and is able to open up the uh, storage unit to reveal Echo. Echo is a uh, AI uh, operative of Overwatch and McCree basically who also got the recall for Overwatch tells Echo, you know, they want me, but they need you. So he sends Echo off to answer Winston's recall while he rides off into the sunset and the stage is set. Talon is ready to go trying to uh, Take over the world through conflict uh, with their numbers greatly strengthened with Maximilian, Widowmaker, uh, Reaper, Sombra, and uh, Doomfist as their inner circle. The Omnic Crisis is in full swing, the second Omnic Crisis causing tensions all around the world. And Overwatch is ready to be recalled because the world still needs heroes. And that's it. That's the full and complete history of Overwatch going from the birth of Omnix all the way up to present day. The opening events so you can jump right into Overwatch and uh, play the game. Because you should. Because it's great. So (laughs) um, it's really exciting. This game for the amount of uh, non-story missions that the initial game has. uh, There's a lot of lore You know, this is across both the game, comics, novelizations, uh, press releases. Uh, It's a lot of stuff. And quickly and quietly, Overwatch has become one of the most dense, lore-heavy games that we've seen in quite a long time to not have a story mode. Which makes me really excited about Overwatch 2. Now, with Overwatch 2, uh, they're going to be introducing uh, story missions. Basically, going up against... Uh, Null Sector and the rest of the Omnic Crisis and utilizing some new designs for all these characters who are now rejoining Overwatch so while I would say the first game of Overwatch was establishing the world and celebrating the past Overwatch 2 is now going to be looking towards the future really excited about this they've also uh, in different uh, interviews they've revealed that not only are we getting story missions, but there's also going to be hero missions. All of these co-op, of course. But they're also introducing uh, new PvP maps. So it's a good time. Several heroes have have been told, we've been told, are going to be announced at launch for Overwatch 2. Including Sojourn, who we mentioned a little bit during the, uh, during the history. I hope that we get to know who Liao is. Because Liao is an enigma, we don't know who he is or what he's about or where he is. But I'm really excited, and one of the most exciting things is that even if you don't pick up Overwatch 2, uh, you can still play with all the new characters that, that um, that get released for Overwatch 2. You can play all of the new maps that pop-up for Overwatch 2. The only thing that you wouldn't be able to be a part of are the uh, story missions, which do seem to have some kind of uh, loose RPG elements to them. You can level them up, customize your heroes, which I like. I'm really excited. I love RPG mechanics brought to any game. So I'm really excited about it. Overwatch is in full swing. Uh, I have adored this game for a really long time. Uh, I've been I was actually playing it a little bit before I sat down to play the or to uh, record this, so I love this game. I'm really excited. We don't have a release date yet, but we should expect to see it sometime in 2020. Uh, we've gotten different rumors and speculation that it could be early 2020 or holiday season of 2020. Whenever it comes out, I'm really excited about it, and uh, I hope that this was informative. I hope that you were able to uh, get some kind of uh, knowledge out of this. It's a dense lore with a lot of characters. I'm sure there's at least two or three characters who I w- wasn't able to mention, but just know that all the characters matter, all the characters are great, and um, it's definitely a game you should pick up. So that is going to do it for uh, this. That's going to do it for uh, the main course. And I hope you enjoyed Overwatch, the story so far. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing... Arrow Season 8, the final season of Arrow on our march to Crisis. And this week we will be looking at episode number 4, entitled Present Tense. Now, this episode uh, is, I have here in my notes written down, time crash. And that's pretty much the idea behind this episode, in that the last uh, episode ended off with Mia, Connor, and William being taken from 2040 back into our present day of 2019. We don't know why. We don't know what they're doing there. But um, they make a reunion. And I, overall, I really liked I really liked that they were brought back because I think we pretty much, for now at least, told all the stories that we can tell from 2040. Uh, there is, of course, the uh, lingering threat of... Um, of JJ and the Deathstroke gang in the future, but they kind of deal with the modern-day uh, Deathstroke gang, so it's unclear as to exactly how that's going to affect the future going forward. If you can hear, that is uh, not Babs, but our other cat, Churchill. And um, its uh, I think this was good. I think this was good for the characters because uh, we get to see interactions from these characters that you wouldn't expect um Connor gets to interact with Diggle who has not yet adopted Connor so it's very awkward for him um all of the stuff with Mia and Oliver was fine I just I'm really I'm kind of getting sick of Mia uh and that sucks because I I like the idea of her I like her general character but these last few episodes she's just been really really unlikable and I just I need somebody to kind of, like, shake her and be like, look, stop being such a pain in the ass. And I get it, like, we're looking at her from the uh, viewpoint of a younger and more uh, fiery Oliver, but I don't know, I'm still, I'm still a little put off. Uh, William, though, we got a great scene with William and Oliver where uh, William came out to his dad because he never got the opportunity to because after William was taken away by his uh, his grandparents, according to William, he never saw Felicity or Oliver again until the events of the current flashbacks. So the flash forwards, I guess. And this was a great scene. It was really good because he's like, you know, all of this stuff is going on. And also, by the way, I'm gay. And Oliver just kind of sits back and it's, you know, I could see how some people would say this is cheesy. I could see how some people would say that it's it feels forced. But this is exactly how every person um, would love this interaction to go. Coming out to your parent, letting them know who you are, um, with your parent backing you up 100%. I think that this was a wonderful scene. Oliver basically tells him, like, I know. We've always known. We were just hoping that at some point you would be, you know, you would be uh, okay with yourself enough to share that. And it was, it was just wonderful. And I really, I'm really digging William this season. He's been really, really good. I really like what he's doing here. Um, when it comes to Connor and Diggle, uh, I I like how subtle, it's weird. Because we know that in uh, at, in Earth-90, in Alternate Earth, uh, John Diggle took the name of his stepfather, uh, General Stewart, and became John Stewart and later became Green Lantern. Uh, and everything that he's wearing in this episode, like I know it's his normal like Spartan gear, but without the helmet, dead ringer for John Stewart. He's got the black and the green, it looks Green Lantern. I hope we see this in Crisis. I really hope we see it. But... Uh, Diggle and Connor got some really good character development here, uh, from Diggle having to accept that he adopts Connor to the reveal that, um, that Diggle's son JJ kills, uh, Renee's daughter Zoe and all the stuff that Connor lied to him about to him you know accepting Connor again it was really really good stuff and I'm looking forward to seeing uh Diggle's always kind of had that you know paternal instinct in him across all of these seasons and I'm glad that we're finally putting that to use and then um so they basically they go they thwart the present day Deathstroke gang which may have implications in the future going forward uh Renee decides to jump dive with both feet into his uh political pursuits and um it's a good episode it's a good episode i would say it's probably the weakest so far i just think the first episode was so strong right out of the gate and um so was last episode last episode was really strong and i i think that, even though this episode was good, don't get me wrong, this was not a bad episode, but it wasn't as strong as it needs to be heading into the second half of the season. And, um, I'm hoping that the second half kind of ramps up a little bit more. We have all the pieces, they're all on the board, uh, we now know that the secret to replicating whatever weapon they need to destroy the Monitor is in Russia, so we're going back to Russia! And then, meanwhile, the Monitor is, uh, He showed up to Laurel at the end of the episode telling her that I can bring back your world, but you have to betray Oliver Queen. I still think that this monitor is really the anti-monitor in disguise, but we're going to see. We'll just have to see. Um, But I'm looking forward to it. Unfortunately, next week uh, Arrow is going on break, so we will not be getting a new episode next week. So I'm going to have to come up with something for uh, the weekly review. I will... Figure it out. I haven't figured it out just yet, but expect an extra special weekly review next week. Um, So yeah, I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the second half of the season as we ramp up towards Crisis. And I am looking forward to seeing more of uh, future Team Arrow interacting with present Team Arrow. More William and Oliver scenes, please. And uh, yeah, that does it for this week's weekly review, so stay tuned next week for an extra special uh i guess intermission weekly review for the arrow season eight and uh for now let's hop on over to this week's comics countdown Ooh, welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where i talk about the comics that i think you should be picking up this week whether it's on Comicsology, your local comic book shop or however you get your comics these are the ones i think you should definitely take a look at we'll be talking about each book's title the creative team behind each book as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well and of course Every synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you would like me to try out, feel free to request that on either of our social medias at Explained Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or also through email, because I'm an old man, I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. But before we get to this week's book, we gotta take a look at the last week's books with our Geek Explained pick of the week of last week. And I was not expecting this book to be my pick of the week. Um, I knew it was going to be one of the books that I was definitely picking up, but I did not expect it to be just the book that was going to blow everything away for me, and that is Superior Spider-Man number 12. Uh, Superior Spider-Man number 12 is the last issue of this current Superior Spider-Man run written by Christos Gage with art by Mike Hawthorne, and I had no idea. Um, I... I think uh, Christos Gage has been keeping it very close to the chest that this was going to be only a 12-issue run. These were 12 fantastic issues, and I think the way that this ended really opens up the door for a lot of narrative possibilities. I want you to pick up this book. If you haven't picked up this issue, if you haven't been picking up any of the issues, pick up the trades, buy them, because this was a fantastic story. From beginning to end, there were no points that dragged. The... The... Um, Redemption and fall of Otto Octavius is a fantastic story and this issue wraps up really the only way uh, it could. When a hero is secretly a villain and trying to fight against his base instincts, Um, the idea that your past will come back to haunt you and that sometimes you can't outrun your nature is really compelling. And both Christos Gage and Mike Hawthorne did a fantastic job telling the story of Otto Octavius, also known as Elliot Tolliver, in his Alias in San Francisco, and really telling a tragedy really, of the rise and fall of the Superior Spider-Man. So definitely pick this up. This is one that you should be already reading. I'm sorry, and I'm really sad to see this go. I should have known the signs were there during War of the Realms when they had Superior Spider-Man team up with West Coast Avengers, which had also just wrapped up. Um, But I guess Marvel Universe doesn't... uh, Marvel books on the uh, West Coast don't sell as well as the New York City stories. So hopefully that changes. Hopefully we get to see uh, this story go forward. And I cannot wait to see where these characters land next. But that was last week. Let's talk about this week. And for this week, we've got one, two, three, four, eight books. For you, both Marvel and DC. So let's dive right into them. Starting off with Young Justice number ten, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by John Timms. Um, I I agree. If you could hear that, that's uh, that's Babs. She has lots of opinions on Young Justice, and I'm really trying to hold on to this book. I really I love the characters that are in there. My boy Tim Drake deserves better. Um, I just, like, I feel like each issue that comes out is kind of diminishing returns. Uh, it was really cool to have everybody back, the classic Young Justice team, but, um, as each issue has gone on, like, it looks like, it feels like they're fighting for, like, a direction, and it doesn't seem like they have one right now, but I'm hoping that this issue, uh, kind of gives them the boost that they need, and I think... After you hear the synopsis, it I think things are going to lean towards that way. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Welcome, Naomi. Wonder Comics' brightest shining star comes to Young Justice. She's ready to join this team of young heroes who have seen it all. And you'll want to be here to watch the sparks fly for the very first time. All this, plus the true story of Ginny Hex. So yeah, Naomi, who I think is like the, uh, synopsis says really the MVP of wonder comics so far, uh, is going to be joining the team. So that's really exciting. And I hope that, uh, it helps. I hope that it really knocks it out of the park and elevates this book to where it should be. Next up, we have old man quill number 11 of 12 written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill. Um, this is the penultimate issue. We've only got one more issue of this uh, in our Old Man Stories saga. We just wrapped up Dead Man Logan, which was very good uh, last week. But I, uh, I'm really interested to see where they go with this because Peter Quill just jumped into the time stream last episode or uh, last issue, last episode, and um, And we're going to see what his time travel shenanigans uh, really gets up to. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Out of the time stream and into the fire. Peter Quill navigates the time stream for one last shot at saving the Earth. Nothing will stand in his way now. Except Doctor Doom. Strap into your time sled and hang on as we careen towards the conclusion of the most shocking Marvel story this year. There's no turning back now. So yeah, it looks like uh, we're going to get Peter Quill, old man Peter Quill, up against a Doctor Doom in his prime. We'll see how that goes for him. Uh, next up we have Justice League number 35 written by Scott Snyder and James Tynan IV with art by Francis Manipole and special shout out to the cover artist Raphael Albuquerque I love Albuquerque's art it's so so good and I'm really excited to uh, see him drawing the covers here uh, one of my favorite books that he's done in the past in the recent years I guess would be Huck if you haven't read it Read it, it's so good. But jumping over here to Justice League number 35, really excited about this. This is continuing the Justice Doom war. And uh, this synopsis starts off pretty, uh, pretty extravagant. So let's jump into that synopsis here. This issue, Lex Luthor wins. Everything Lex has been working for over the past year and a half comes to fruition, as he finally possesses the fully-powered totality and plans to bend hypertime to his will. The Legion of Doom's leader will defeat the Justice League once and for all, and make his final pitch to serve at Perpetua's side. And the multiverse will never be the same. So yeah, um... It's always darkest just before the dawn, and it looks like it's going to get pretty freaking dark here before we get the resolution of uh, the Justice Doom War. So really looking forward to this. Book has been really strong. Uh, Next up, we have Web of Black Widow, number three of five, written by Jody Hauser with art by Stephen Mooney. Uh, This has been really good. This has been really good, the first two issues, setting this up, setting up this mystery, this ongoing mystery with Natasha, uh, both dealing with her past and her uncertain future. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Widow underwater. When her secretive enemy gets the best of her, Natasha calls the one person who understands just how tangled a widow's web can get, Yelena Balova. But a fellow black widow can't save Natasha from the chains of her past. Russian's hard, guys. Uh, so yeah, really excited about this and excited to see Yelena Belova back. She's a great character. She's also someone who's going to be popping up in the black widow solo film. And I don't think that's an accident. So really looking forward to this jumping over to our next book. Also really looking forward to this, uh, Batman universe number five of six written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Nick Darrington. This book's just been great. And with the cover showing off my, uh, my OCP, my, original favorite pairing. uh, Batman and Nightwing, they're going to be teaming up here. Uh, It looks like there's going to be some time travel shenanigans to explain why Nightwing is Nightwing. But uh, yeah, so I'm excited about this. Let's jump into the synopsis here. After being gunned down in Crime Alley by Vandal Savage, Batman is mysteriously saved by the power source in the Fabergé egg Savage has stolen. That power turns out to be a white lantern ring. And when Batman uses it to defeat Savage, its energy signature calls the entire Green Lantern core to Earth. And they are not happy. So really excited about this Um On top of Nightwing showing up, potentially, in this book, we're also going to get the Green Lantern Corps, so hopefully some Kyle Rayner. Really excited about the prospect of Kyle Rayner showing up in this book, and really all of the GLs. uh, They've been underserved, and I think now that the show has been announced on HBO Max, we're going to see the Green Lanterns kind of push to the forefront here. Next up, a new number one, we have X-Force, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Joshua Cacera. Uh, This is really interesting. This looks like it's going to be filling kind of the same role as the uncanny X-Force during the Utopia era of the X-Men, um, but a little bit more structured, it seems like. So let's jump into the synopsis and we'll talk about it. The High Price of a New Dawn. X-Force is the CIA of the mutant world. One half intelligence branch, one half special ops. Beast, Jean Grey, and Sage on one side. Wolverine, Kid Omega, and Domino on the other. In a perfect world, there would be no need for an X-Force. We're not there. Yet. So, interested in that. I really like the idea that it's a double branch kind of situation with kind of their... Um, their home team, as well as a strike force that they can send out. And who doesn't love Kid Omega and Wolverine teaming up together, even though they hate each other? I love that. Really excited. Looking forward to this book for sure. Next up, we have Batman number 82, written by Tom King with art by Mikkel Janin, uh, reuniting the team after uh, a pretty lengthy lengthy, uh, time apart. So this is continuing the City of Bane as we march on to Batman 85, which will be, of course, Tom King's last uh, issue on that title. Um, this has been good so far. City of Bane's been really good. I'm excited to see where they go with this, especially with some of the questionable things that happened last issue, namely uh, Flashpoint Batman taking down the entire Bat family. Um I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm interested to see where they go with this. So let's jump into the synopsis here. City of Bane, Part 8. Batman and his allies wage war on the city of Bane, but an unexpected turn of events will send everyone reeling. Will there be another death in the family, or can the Dark Knight break Bane's iron grip over Gotham City? So, again, really looking forward to this. This should be really, really good. We're finally heading into this uh, final confrontation, this final showdown with Batman and Catwoman against Bane. And I cannot wait. But the big book of the week, the big book that I think you should definitely be picking up, and I know I will be picking up, it's the very first title that I have ever actually started a poll list on with my local comic book shop, and that is Legion of Superheroes number one, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Ryan Sook. Uh, Brand new number one, bringing back a fan favorite team from uh, Obscurity, I would say. Uh, We've been waiting for them to come back ever since the hint of them being brought back was given to us in DC Rebirth number one Um, and I'm excited about this Brian Michael Bendis has been very hit or miss more miss than hit I think uh, with his DC run but he seems really jazzed and really supercharged about this property and I hope that he brings the same kind of energy that he brought to an ultimate Spider-Man to this book so let's jump into the synopsis here welcome to the 31st century Inspired by the acts of and lessons learned from the greatest heroes of all time, the Legion of Superheroes have gathered together to stop a galaxy from repeating its past mistakes. The greatest lineup of heroes in comic book history returns with new, fresh, and reader friendly stories. Eisner Award winning writer Brian Michael Bendis reteams with master artist Ryan Sook for one of the most ambitious mainstream comic books ever created. Why have the Legion? Of superheroes broken the cardinal rule of the United Planets and inducted John Kent, aka Superboy, into the Legion. What are they hiding, and what does it have to do with Aquaman's long-lost trident? So, I like a good mystery. I like that they're setting up uh, questions that we should be asking while reading this issue. And I just, I love the Legion, guys. Long live the Legion! I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I even pre-ordered the books so I could get my hands on a Legion flight ring, so I'm really looking forward to that on Wednesday. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Young Justice, number 10, Old Man Quill, number 11 of 12, Justice League, number 35, Web of Black Widow, number 3 of 5, Batman Universe, number 5 of 6, X-Force, number 1, Batman, number 82, and Legion of Superheroes, number 1. If I missed any books, feel free to let me know through social media or through email. I always love discovering new books with uh, recommendations from you guys. So definitely let me know. Really looking forward to this week's books, especially Batman and Legion. Uh, Batman Universe has also been super, super strong, and we are heading into the end of that series as well with only one more issue to go, but I'm just... I'm really, really excited about The Legion popping up. Uh, Monel is one of my favorite characters and an unsung hero of DC Comics. And this new redesign that they have of him uh, brings him a little bit closer to me ethnically uh, as an Asian-American male. Really looking forward to just the reintroduction of The Legion uh, with some brand new stories with John Kent. Now that he's aged up, I think it would have been better if he was still maybe John Kent. But... Uh, really excited to see this, really excited to get my hands on a Legion flight ring, and overall, long live the Legion. And that is going to do it for this week's episode, thank you very much for listening all the way through, I really appreciate it. Um, another cheap plug that I want to do real quick, uh, each and every week we have been reviewing a specific hbo comic book inspired show in our geek explained extra series watching the watchmen so uh i along with co-host chris carter are basically uh reviewing each episode as it comes out kind of at like an after show uh we watch the episode we record and we drop it every single monday so so far we did a Got to it a little bit late, so I did an episode for the first and second episodes, and then the most recent segment we did was on episode three, so definitely expect more uh, as the season goes along, and expect more for episode four uh, this coming Sunday. Once again, trying to drop it every Monday, um, just to give you some extra playing content. Uh, Because we all need more content. So uh, definitely check that out. Please do. Please check out the first two uh, segments of the uh, Watching the Watchmen series covering the first three episodes. And stay tuned for the next Watching the Watchmen as well. Uh, Let me know what you think about that. Let me know what you think about any of the stuff that we talked about today. I would love to have those conversations with you. You can do so on either of our social medias at Explained pod. That's at Explained pod on Twitter and Instagram or through email, uh, to geeksplained at gmail.com because of course I'm an old man and I still read emails. Uh, no mailbag this week, no questions, send in your questions. I want to answer questions. Um, so definitely send those in to get them in for next week. Uh, this weekend, I am going to be um, heading down to Arizona for a couple days. So um, next week's episode might, uh, might be interesting. Might be interesting. So uh, definitely look forward to that. But um, I'm really looking forward to this uh, oncoming stuff. We've got lots of stuff coming up. We've got um, the final Star Wars uh, film in the Skywalker Saga coming up. We've got Crisis loads of stuff, loads of geek stuff, video games coming out. Um, I I think Fallen Jedi is coming out. Like, Yeah, it's coming out next week on the 15th. Um, so really excited about all that stuff. Uh, really looking forward to it. So um, yeah, so that's it for this week's episode. Uh, tune in next week for a uh, very special weekly review. Uh, I've got a couple ideas in mind. I'm uh, still trying to figure them out, but Uh, whatever i come up with you guys will be the you'll be the first to know of course and um definitely look forward to some more content just like this so tune in next week same geek time same geek channel but for now for geek explained this is eric Azana. thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time